Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If somebody says, don't bother me unless it's an emergency, sometimes you have to just maliciously comply. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, you will not recheck our scores? Fine, have fun with unemployment. Context, I've been working in this health insurance company for the past three years. I recently took another position with better hours and better pay, but this time it was to coordinate appointments with doctors and specialists. My metrics were always great, and the reason I was selected for the new position was due to my metrics. This has been brewing since October 2022. We used to have a coworker, let's call her Karen. Karen is this old lady that thinks she knows it all, everything she says is right and she often blames everything on someone else, typical Karen activities. The first time I interacted with her was back in October when I messaged her via our work chat because she messed up prior authorization for a patient and the MD office was calling to have the person that created the authorization fix the issue. The conversation went like this. I said, hi, good morning. I have an MD office calling requesting to speak to you in regards to a prior authorization that looks incomplete. Karen says, and you couldn't help them? This is a call center you're supposed to help, and I don't even know who that MD is. I said, you're correct, this is a call center. However, you created the authorization, and as you know, I cannot fix authorizations that were not created by me. And also, they'll likely speak with you specifically. I also provided her the patient record number and the MD office phone number. She said, well, I'm not available to talk to them. I said, okay. I went back to the call. I specifically told the MD what she said, including that she's not available to talk, but hopefully she'll call them back to fix the issue. I also sent a message to my direct supervisor with a screenshot of our conversation and I simply said, this is unprofessional, especially in an environment like ours. Fast forward the start of the year, Karen took a position with our quality assurance department due to them being understaffed. I used to work in the QA department and I knew the ins and outs and knew she would be assigned to our department since she already had experience. Context: Our quality assurance gives scores from 100 and if we miss something we get points deducted. For example, miss HIPAA, minus 20, give inaccurate info, minus 10, don't advise people for our survey, minus 5, etc. In January comes my first bad score in three years in the company. It was a 56%. I was astonished because it was the first time I've had a bad score, but I also make sure the score was correct. Our company gives us the choice to listen to our calls just to be sure, just in case the quality agent made a mistake. I listened to my call and I did everything right. I completed the information, provided good service, and I asked the PT if they need assistance with anything else and provided a closing script. On the quality note, it was stated that I didn't offer any help, and that I didn't even complete HIPAA. I sent it to my supervisor, and he stated that when I offered the closing script, the patient asked something, and I replied and disconnected the call. Okay, I still said the closing script, and his question and my answer lasted literally 5 seconds. 
My supervisor still went to her and managed to fix the score to 95% because she felt like I didn't provide a survey. If someone's worked in a call center, you know that metrics are everything, and one bad thing will quickly not get you your monthly bonuses. And on top of that, we get our butts handed to us by management because if we don't achieve the metrics, they also don't get bonuses. I took screenshots of our conversation and saved it in a file, then I sent it to my personal email since I know our IT department is known for deleting anything that is not a working system or appropriate. Fast forward 3 days ago or April 18th, I had received several scores ranging from 85 to 80% and only one 100% score. The 100 score I received because Karen wasn't the one who audited my call and the other person found everything alright, but the 85% looked fishy since the first thing you see is the patient name. I quickly remembered the call because the person was funny and I enjoyed the call. I listened to the call and of course, I did everything perfectly. However, Karen put on the system that she deducted 10 points for not telling the patient that he had a copay for the visit and another 5 points for extending the call. What? I contacted my supervisor and let him know what had happened, however, I didn't receive a response. I was confused, so I sent a message to a coworker who told me that they'd been having the same issue with Karen with inaccurate audits and the department not achieving their monthly goals due to it. Since my supervisor didn't reply, I did what everyone does when management doesn't reply. I messaged Karen, and I sent her a message that just said, Hey, I've seen some inaccurate audits, and I would like to know if you could recheck them, since I listened to the calls and everything was done properly. The reply I received was, All audit scores are final and it cannot be appealed. I knew it was a lie since I'd worked with quality before, and I know it could be changed. I replied, you know I worked in that department for one year, and I know it could be rechecked and reversed, right? Karen said, your previous position is irrelevant in this matter. If you don't like the score, you can go ahead and submit a complaint to my supervisor. I replied, okay, have a good day, knowing that her supervisor knows me really well. Cue malicious compliance. I just didn't create one formal complaint. I created one complaint for each time she scored me incorrectly. Not only that, but I also told my 19 coworkers what she said and advised them that if they would like their scores overturned and rechecked, they could send a complaint to her supervisor, but only to send one complaint per bad score. Also, to let you guys know, we don't get one audit a month. No, no, we get audited 10 times per month. In the span of 24 hours, her supervisor must have received around 200 complaints from our department, complaining for one person, Karen. The first complaint was mine with Karen's conversation, saying that all decisions are final and that she cannot recheck or overturn, and also saying to submit a complaint to her supervisor. Her supervisor sent me a message saying that they'll evaluate all the complaints and scores, and we will be receiving a message. That was on Monday 4 17 Tuesday. We didn't get any messages Wednesday, I couldn't go to work due to my illness. But today on 4-20, I received a message from her supervisor stating that my scores have been reviewed and properly scored, and also stating that my supervisor will be under investigation because any complaint should be submitted to his manager, and he never submitted anything, and that employee has been terminated. But the best part is logging into our chat and seeing Karen's profile with no pictures, and instead of her name it only said unknown user. 
the morale of our group is better, and I hope we don't have issues again. I just can't think of anything more fun than working in a call center where somebody has to go and score all of these things. Just imagine you spend all your life going up through school, you get out and the best you can do is this call center where essentially you're graded on your work every week once again. Also hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our next story is, a new manager was older than me, so knew the best way to run an event. I used to work part-time for my university running student events. Experience is the best teacher. I'd participated in these events as a student, assisted in these events under someone else as part of my scholarship, and as a staff member, ran the events myself. We had a new college head who was much older, approximately 50 to 60, while everyone else was in their early 20s. This woman was the most pig-headed, arrogant fool you can imagine, and despite being new, she wouldn't sit back and observe how things worked or listen to those on our team who'd been there for years. No matter what you told her, when she announced something that wouldn't work or cause problems, the answer was the same. I'm older, so I know best. Didn't matter if it would take you longer to do it her way, or in one case, if it was technically illegal. Of course, mistakes that we'd warned her would happen were always someone else's fault or swept under the carpet. During event planning, one look at the schedule told me she hadn't allocated the team properly. Email exchange. I said, hmm, probably not a good idea to have the whole team in an hour before the event. Most of them standing around doing nothing. Best to get five or so people in for setup most of the team in for running the event, and hold back another three to four for cleanup. The college head said, no, I want everyone in helping out equally an hour before the event. I said, they're only meant to do two hours work per event. If you have them an hour early for a two hour event, that's three hours. They'll all leave before cleanup. The slackers will slack off and the proactives will end up doing everything. The college head said, I'm older than you, I know best, just do as you're told. Cue malicious compliance. I said, fine, but I've got some personal business to do directly after the event. I'll handle procurement and setup, but we'll need to leave right afterward the event is over. College head said, that's fine. On to other business. Day of the event, the whole team showed up an hour before for setup. As expected, five or so did all the setup work while most of the team stood around on their phones. Some even got bored and wandered off. It wasn't the team members' fault for standing around. Only so many people can do meal prep and set up tables without getting in each other's way. Ten minutes before the event, College Head shows up and everything's running smoothly. Event was a lot of fun. Some of the team continued to wander off. Some ran the events. Some participated. I was running around like a gopher letting the College Head take credit for the event in front of everyone. Not doing any work, mind you, but taking credit for it. I made sure to remind her I had to leave right at the end of the event for personal business in front of the other college heads several times. To be extra spiteful, I neglected to stop several team members from wandering off who had done no work other than standing around talking and eating and encouraged several people who had definitely done two hours worth of work to call it a night and thank them for their help. Forgetful me, I also didn't tell team members standing around during events to start cleaning up as things were finishing. All the free food was gone, all the games were over, both students and team members were wandering off into the night, and all of a sudden, the college head said, 
wait, where are you going? There's so much mess and we've got to put away all the tables and tidy up all the different games, but everyone's left. I said, hmm, yes, we probably should have saved up a few team members to do cleanup, but they've already done their two hours. Anyway, like I told you earlier, I've got some personal business to attend to directly after the event, so I'll see you tomorrow. College Head said, what personal business is it? This will take over an hour to do all this on my own. I said I'm sorry, but I said personal business because I wasn't comfortable discussing with you or the team about what it was, as it really is quite personal and I'm going to be late. I wandered off home for my personal business of closing all my curtains and playing Xbox in my underwear, chuckling at the thought of that arrogant woman having to do all that work by herself. The formal complaint she put in for me leaving didn't really go anywhere, as I just forwarded the email exchange to management. Sadly, pig-headed people are pig-headed because they don't learn no matter what. I eventually quit, and a few months later was introduced to my replacement's replacement, who was also ready to quit. What I don't understand is when you have a pig-headed person like this, why does it seem like they can survive so many mishaps? Like sometimes they'll make some erroneous mistake that's so huge that they have to be canned. But there's these weird survivors that seem to stick around despite being so methodically backwards. Our next story is, don't bother me unless it's an emergency. This morning, I got into my car and realized I left my headlights on. Thankfully, modern technology meant it automatically had switched off when the key was removed, but it reminded me of a time where that wasn't so. Many, many years ago, I was working one of my first jobs in a little cafe, nearing the end of my training period. It was a quiet day, perfect to put the newbie on with only one experienced staff member. The experienced staff member called in sick. Boss had to come in and cover until Sue could come in early. Boss wanted to use the time on site to do paperwork out the back. I'll be in here if you have any questions. I very annoyingly had a lot of questions how to avoid an incorrect transaction, where to find more special paper for the credit card machine, what to do when the coffee grinder stopped working. Finally, boss said, I'm busy, don't bother me unless it's an emergency. Let me know when Sue is here. Shyly, I replied, that's what I came to tell you. Sue just arrived. They said, great, any more questions, ask her. Sue took over the coffee area and got me on restocking, clearing tables and emptying the bins and other necessary grunt work. I went out to the outside bins through the little staff parking area and saw my boss's old car there with the headlights still on. I went back to my boss's office. Boss, is it an emergency? Boss snapped. Not to me, I replied. Then go away. I left quickly. I went to tell Sue instead. Sue, then I changed my mind. Boss doesn't want to be disturbed unless it's an emergency, so I'm supposed to ask you if I have more questions. Sue and I worked pleasantly until the end of my shift a few hours later. As I gathered my things to leave, boss ran by me, knocking into me a bit. Without turning around to see if I was okay, boss said, Sorry, I'm in a rush. I slowed down to see what happened next. Getting out my brick of a phone to text my mother I was on my way home, I could hear my boss swearing. OP! Oh no. Boss realized that was what I was going to tell them earlier. I was in trouble. Can you bring your car in and give me a jump start? My battery's flat. Only a few cars could fit, so only senior staff and management could park there. I said I walked here. I live 10 minutes walk up the hill. I raced off before my boss could blame me. The next time I was on shift with Sue, I asked what happened to boss. Headlights left on, got a flat battery. Boss tried to jump start it with my car, but it didn't work. Had to call a taxi. 
Funny that neither of us noticed the lights were on when we walked by it. And I realized, of course, she had to have seen it when she walked in. I can only imagine why she didn't say anything either. Does Sue know? Sue definitely knows. I don't know what Sue has against this boss, but considering the way boss treated OP, there's definitely some kind of unknown grievance going on here that was definitely intentionally acted upon. The Wage Theft Tango The phones in the call center are open from 9am to 8pm. I work a later shift from 11.30 to 8. One week, the following happens. Monday, I clock into my job at 11.30am, do 5 minutes of setup, and start taking phone calls from customers by 11.35. I clock out at 8pm that night. Sometime during the day... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, a memo comes down from corporate. Call center representatives should start taking calls the moment their shift is scheduled to start. Tuesday, in order to avoid working off the clock, I clock into my job at 11.15am, do 5 minutes of setup, 10 minutes of administrative work, and start taking phone calls from customers at 11.30am when my shift officially starts. I clock out at 8pm, having done 15 minutes of overtime that day. Wednesday, in order to avoid working off the clock, I clock into my job at 11.15am, do 5 minutes of setup, 10 minutes of administrative work and start taking phone calls from customers at 11.30 a.m. when my shift officially starts. Sometime during the day, a memo comes down from corporate, overtime is not approved for call center representatives. I clock out early at 7.45 p.m. in order to avoid doing overtime. Thursday, starting at 11.25 a.m., I do five minutes of setup. I clock in at 11.30 and start taking calls immediately. I stop working at 7.55 but don't clock out yet. I'll be darned if I let corporate make me a victim of wage theft. Over the next 5 minutes, a couple of calls from last minute Karens come in. I don't take the calls and at 8pm I clock out. The customers eventually hang up disappointed. Friday, starting at 11.25am, I do 5 minutes of setup. I clock in at 11.30 and start taking calls immediately. Sometime during the day, My boss comes to talk to me. Boss says, When you clocked out at 8 o'clock last night, there were still customers waiting in the call queue. Why didn't you take their calls? I said, Sorry, boss. My shift ends at 8 o'clock, and overtime is not approved for call center reps. The boss said, Oh, well, you're allowed to stay late to finish up the customers that call in. I said, Sure thing, boss. Can I have that in writing? Later that day, a memo comes down from corporate. Overtime for business needs is approved for call center representatives. At 7.59pm, a last-minute Karen calls in. 
I help her until 8.05, I clock off 8.15 to make sure I get paid for the extra 10 minutes of work I did. Keep trying corporate, I'm hourly. The simple thing here is just don't work for free for anybody. Doesn't matter how much pressure they're trying to put on you, if they're not going to pay you for the time you stay extra or work early, definitely do not stick around and put up with that. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our next story is, you can't use a competitor's phone? Well folks, for those of you who don't know, I work on cell phone towers. I used to work at an extremely remote rural area for a now defunct small cell phone company. The conversations are to the best of my recollection. The area I worked was the type of area where you could drive for hours and not see anything but field, forests, and animals. Most of the sites I had were what was referred to as island sites, meaning they don't hand off to another cell tower. And most of these sites were about 30 minutes apart on a good day, or well, I worked nights, but you get the drift. So it came around that a competitor had located quite a few sites near our sites. I, being of the mindset of efficiency, purchased a phone from them, and with approval from my boss, kept it ready, especially during upgrades. But he was the type, when anyone above him says, boo, he'd jump and ask if he jumped high enough or should he jump again. So, a couple of months later, boss's boss leaves and we get a new boss's boss who spent 250% of his life in the confines of New York City. Within his first week, he's working the switch and sees me call in from our competitor's number. Of course, he takes offense to this and it quickly comes down that nobody may use a competitor's phone. I bring up my concerns, but, you know, they don't need to do this in New York City, so we're not going to do this. Mind you, my job is to shut down our sites and upgrade or repair them. Yes, I'm the guy you love to hate when you can't make a phone call. And so it happens a short time later. I'm at one of my most remote sites, a 45-minute drive to the next site on a good day, about four hours from home. I do my diligence, call the switch, tell them what I need them to change and shut down the site. An hour later, site's not up. I go through everything on my end. Yep, everything's good. Aw, crap. Now, there's a couple of payphones, but they were the competitor's phone. So I start driving. It takes me about an hour and a half to get to the next site because of a freak blizzard. Crap, that site's down too. Roll on to the next site, usually about 30 minutes, but it's snowing hard and the roads are crap. Two and a half hours on the road after leaving the original site, I finally get service. I pull over and in five minutes we figured out the switch crossed a number and took down the wrong site. Switch promises to fix it and I drive three hours back to the original gate. 30 minutes later, it's still not up. This time it takes an hour to get to the closest site, call the switch again, they get it up, and after about 30 minutes I verify it's up. Hooray! But I still have to drive back, clean up, and make some testing calls. 18 some odd hours after I left my driveway, I pull back in and submit my time, complete with the OT. It's my Friday, I turn off my phone and hit the bed. Monday morning, I turn on my phone for our weekly call-in meeting, and I kid you not, it buzzes with new texts and voicemails for 20 straight minutes, all from boss and boss's boss. I jump on the call, and the first thing I hear is boss's boss. Why the freak did you have a nearly 9-hour outage for a 30-minute upgrade? Before I get a word in, and how dare you claim 9 hours of overtime when you were clearly freaking around not doing your job? I say, well, there were a series of issues outside of the site and a freak snowstorm slowed my response. 
I hit send on emails I'd already prepared before clocking out for the weekend with a full rundown of events of the night. As a reply to the emails coming down from him, dismissing my needs for a competitor's phone, and included his boss, vice president of the company. I don't want to freaking hear excuses from you. Why didn't you just use a freaking payphone and call for help? Literally everyone on the call groaned. I said in case you don't remember, I just replied to a series of emails where you forbade me under threat of termination from using a competitor's phone. At this point, I hear VP join our call. And since payphones are owned by a competitor, I spent six hours driving around in a blizzard searching for service. Instead of spending 45 minutes to an hour and making a call on a competitor's phone, boss's boss replies, I never freaking threatened to terminate anyone. Don't be stupid, you could have used a payphone. The VP cuts in. It appears, boss's boss, that you do not remember what you said and Mr. OP has clearly documented his actions on the night in question. Boss's boss, please call me immediately. Thank you everyone else for your time this morning. Please have a good day. This meeting is over. Boss's boss was removed shortly afterwards, having a fairly rocky rest of his short employment. I now work for the company which purchased our competitor. I moved to my home state, though I still work at a rural market. It's not quite as bad. This is another classic case of whenever you can, when you get instructions that are clearly so inappropriately wrong, you cover your butt however you can, as carefully as you can. Completely saves the lives of numerous people in these crap jobs with crap bosses. Our next story is, return the car empty. Done. Talking to my grandmother earlier today reminded me of this story from a number of years ago. I live in Sydney and used to fly up to the Gold Coast three or four times a year to check on my grandmother. The whole family was in Sydney, so someone would usually pop up once each month to help her out. Anyway, I would always rent a car from Hertz when I arrived. At the time, they offered a prepaid fuel option where you would pay an amount and not need to refuel before return. It was usually less than you would pay at the local service station, so I usually took this option. As I picked up the keys to this shiny new manual Toyota Corolla, the woman said to me, So you have the prepaid fuel, just bring it back empty. After a few days of relaxing by the beach, I ran a few errands for my grandmother in the morning before my 1500 flight when the fuel light comes on and the words of her staff ring in my ear. Bring it back empty. Not wanting to push it, I rolled into 7-Eleven and put two liters in and went on my way. The light didn't extinguish, but with the distance I needed to cover, I figured I'd be safe. About 1300, my grandmother's pushing me out the door telling me to catch my flight. So I make the 6 kilometer trip to the airport, the whole time anxiously wondering if I'll make it with the fuel remaining. As I was coming up on the airport, I felt the engine splutter, but it was still going. Heading in, it started spluttering more, so much so that I genuinely thought I'd run out mere meters from my destination. As I pulled through the boom gate for rental returns, I put my foot down and got a final burst of acceleration. The car determined to be the little engine that could, my finish line in sight, and the car is going to make it. Until it didn't. The car stalled. With the momentum I had, I pulled it into a spot marked Aviz. It only made it about halfway in. I tried in vain to restart it, but it wasn't to be. I got out and pushed the little engine that could into bay 109. I was 11 bays short of the first marked Hertz and was a broken man. My goal, so near yet so far, torment ran through my mind. 
Did those 11 bays mean I was short of my goal to bring it back empty? I mean, it was in the rental car car park after all, and it wasn't uncommon for people to just park in a spot and ignore who owns the spot. I walk into the terminal, carry on roller bay in one hand, car keys in the other, and walk up to rental returns. Can I help you? The same young woman asks as I walk up to her. Returning a car, I said. She takes the paperwork and asks where I'd parked it. Bay 109, it says Avis. I respond. Her not looking up, she shrugs and talks into the radio on the counter. Return 109. Finally, she says, did you fill it up? I say no, and she asks roughly how much is left. None, I say. Oh, so the petrol light is on. No worry, she says. No, I say, I mean, it ran out of fuel as I drove in. I had to push it into the parking spot. The helpful woman gives me a blank stare for a full 10 seconds. Wait, you let it run out? You said return it empty, so I accepted your challenge. Seems I win, I said with a mixture of pride and embarrassment. The staff member turns to her colleague, points at me and says, prepaid fuel and he says it ran out in the car park. The guy looks at me with a smirk and says, really? Well, it wouldn't start back up, I reply as someone comes in from the outside to get the keys. It's out of fuel, the woman says. That's okay, I'll run it up to the shell after I've washed it, he replies. Both terminal staff look at him as the woman looking at me says, no, the customer says he had to push it into the spot. Cue the largest eyes I've ever seen. I have to see this. He walks out with me and the guy from behind the counter following behind, opens the car and tries to start it. It's cranking but won't turn over as all three of us burst out laughing. I've never had one fully out before, he says, when I tell him the woman in there told me to bring it back empty as I walk inside, laughing to check my bags. Honestly, that is incredibly impressive. Although you didn't quite make it into the hurt spot, you got close enough and I'd say mission accomplished. Our next story is, not allowed to remove my neck brace? Okay. Years ago, I was in a bad car accident. An older man turned left in front of me at an intersection and T-boned me. Ambulances were called, I was put on a backboard with a neck brace and brought to the hospital where I was deposited on the gurney in a hallway as there were no rooms available at that time. I laid there for quite a while waiting to be seen. My injuries weren't bad, basically just got banged around and bruised up, so I was okay with the waiting. But I was in pain and laying on my back was very uncomfortable. I didn't think there was anything wrong with my neck. The only pain I felt was due to the darn neck brace digging into the bottom of my skull and I really wanted to lay in a different position. Not only to alleviate some of the pain in the rest of my body, hopefully but also because I was parked right under a light that was blaring in my eyes the whole time. So I started taking off my neck brace. A nurse spotted me doing this and ran over, very upset with me, and told me I had to keep the neck brace on. I tried telling her my neck was fine, but she was adamant that I not remove the brace until the doctor had examined me, which I get. I'm guessing at the very least it goes very much against protocol. And at the very worst, it would have been a huge liability if I took the brace off and there was something wrong. Plus, I didn't want to piss off the nurse or be one of those patients, so I begrudgingly complied, even though I thought it was overkill. I tried to reposition myself as best as I could to the least painful position, very not successfully, unfortunately. However, the darn light blaring directly down was driving me crazy even when I closed my eyes. 
Finally, out of frustration, I took the blanket that was over me, pulled it up more, and threw it over my head. Ah, finally. No more light in my eyes. Bliss. I just laid there trying to block the pain and daydream to pass the time, wondering how long I'd be there for. Not too long after, I hear what sounds like a bit of commotion and someone saying something about a dead person in the hallway. I was like, oh my god, that's freaky. I got that there were no rooms available, but to leave a dead body just laying out for everyone to see? I thought that was uber creepy. Suddenly, the same nurse that gave me crap about the neck brace pulls the blanket off my head, scaring the crap out of me, and she starts yelling at me that I'm not allowed to put the blanket over my head and what the heck was I doing? It was then that I realized the dead body they were talking about was me i said oh crap i'm so so sorry i just wanted the light out of my eyes and i can't move my head with the neck darn brace on to say the nurse was not impressed would be an understatement but she did find me a room to move me to and positioned me not under any light which i thanked her very much for she just gave me a surly look and walked away sorry just the idea that op's sitting there like under this blanket like Oh, I'm stuck next to a dead body and I can't even, like, move? Can't take this neck brace off? The pain is here? There's just something hilarious when you know the whole story of Opie having those... Of Opie having that line of thought. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 